0: Want to reduce friction in your trade-in and buying process with customers? Become a Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer Dealer. It's the easier way for you and your customers to get to yes. Learn more by visiting b2b.kbb.com slash get to yes. All in the show notes. Now let's move on to the show. Welcome to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. My name is Michael Cirillo, and each week I sit down with the brightest minds in marketing, sales, and leadership to help you level up your career in automotive. Thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. Now let's open up the playbook. Here we go. All right, welcoming back to the Dealer Playbook Podcast, my good friend, Jim Ziegler. Jim, thanks so much for joining me on the DPB.
1: I am absolutely excited to be here. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, hey, it's uh, Sandy a pre-show. It's been a long time coming, but uh, you know, really excited to have you on and talking about something that I think is so vitally crucial, especially this day and age, with just the rapid speed at which information comes to all of us. Before that, though, I, I just wanted to ask you how did how did Battle Plan go? How was that? You just came Battle off the Battle plans. Plan. It was,
1: it was exceptional. It was, it was the biggest turnout we ever had. The best speakers teach at the beach. We were at the Sand Key resort in Clearwater, Florida. And, um, we had about 150 people and I'm telling you, it was the very best battle plan. It was battle plan 22, teach at the beach. And, uh, they, they get better every time.
0: They, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've personally had the pleasure of attending your uh, battle plan. I think it was, you were in Seattle and, uh, you know, for those of you listening and watching, let me just tell you, Jim and, and Debbie, uh, put together a phenomenal show. The food's always great. The locations are always great. And, uh, I'm a little bit bummed. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get there this time around for Teach at the Beach. But, uh, you know, that's, um, you, you know, if you're considering, Education. These are the events that you need to be looking forward to. And, and like you heard Jim just say, I mean, 150 people, it's it's big enough that there's great networking opportunities, but but intimate enough that you really get that deep learning. So really glad for you. I mean, I'm glad that uh, that went off without a hitch and that it was your biggest show ever.
1: Life is an adventure.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's your own adventure. I think this day and age and, and along with our subject matter, too many people are too worried about experiencing somebody else's adventure. And, you know, so what intrigues me about the subject matter today is that, you know, things are coming at us so quickly. When you go into Facebook or you go onto any social platform, the speed at which the best parts of people's lives come to us And give us that fear of missing out or that fear of like we're not doing certain things kind of overwhelms a lot of people. And how this applies to the dealership, where I'm going with this is every dealership is unique. And I think that's because of the people that are in the store. Different mindsets, different goals, different ideas of success. What we're talking about today is the things a general manager, specifically of a car dealership, should be doing every week. And so I want to turn this over to you. I mean, keeping in mind that the GMs listening, you know, are having challenges and are having struggles. And I think they're, they're keenly interested now in what you, somebody that's got so much experience in the car industry can bring to the table here. So I, I just want to turn this over to you. Bearing in mind for those of you listening and watching that. You are unique, you do have some unique challenges, but you also have some very common challenges that you face by virtue of being a dealership. Jim, what should a general manager be doing every week?
1: Well, first of all, Michael, let me preface, I never have been a general manager. And um, I was a general sales manager, pretty large dealerships. um, I never cared to be a general manager because I really didn't know fixed operations, and I didn't care about fixed operations. I'm a variable expert, but as a consultant over the last 35 years, I've picked up a lot of things and I've actually coached a lot of dealers, how to be dealers, and a lot of general managers, how to be general managers. And, tr- and truthfully when I, I travel 200, 250 days a year, I just recently retired from that part of my business. But I've been, I've been 200 days a year in dealerships and most people that are calling themselves general managers, are, no offense, our, our general sales managers with a glorified title. They're not right. really doing the duties of, of a general manager as such.
0: Why, why is that?
1: Well, because most general general managers came out of the sales operation. You know, they didn't come of the variable operation. I mean, the, the fixed operation, they came out of the variable operation. So that, that that's where they're stuck. Um, like most general sales managers are glorified desk managers and not general sales managers either. And right. when I started becoming a student of the industry, you know, what do you have to do to manage a dealership, the entire dealership, the employees, the, the functions, the processes? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a financial position. And if, and if you can't read a financial statement and not just read it, but interpret it, you cannot be an effective general manager because every every line item on that on that financial statement and every item on the doc sheet it's like a sweater. Uh, uh, Tom Bennett, old general manager friend of mine once said, it's, "It's like a sweater. You start you start pulling the threads and pretty soon you unravel the whole damn thing." You know, <laughs> you can pick any line item on a on a financial statement and and start pulling the folders and, and looking at it first thing a general manager needs to do every day is open their own mail. Mm. Don't, don't let an employee open the mail in the dealership. That That is something a general manager should personally do every single day of the week.
0: Why is that? You,
1: well, you, you want to see what's coming in. Usually, when, if I were a general manager today, I would have the controller of the dealership sitting there with me when I signed every check. If I'm, if I'm in the dealership, I'm not on vacation, I'm not going. As a general manager, I would sign every check. I would open every, every piece of mail and I would look at the, the accounts payable every day, every single day. What, what are we paying out? What are we taking in? Uh, I would study the financial statement. I want a current doc sheet. Absolutely essential that the general manager gets there early comes in through the back of the dealership and touches every employee as he walks by or she walks by, you know, and, and talk to the employees. The, the employee, I see so many general managers that really don't communicate with the lower levels. Right. They, they, they sort of treat the little people like they're invisible. If I want right. to know what's happening in my dealership, there's two people that will tell you everything that's going on, the controller and the receptionist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if you if you really want the dirt on the dealership, the receptionist has it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: That's because she's the complaint department.
1: <laughs> yeah. <or he. laughs> so I'm going to review the cash balance, cash flow report, the daily doc, the operating the operating report. Open all the mail myself. Walk the dealership. Talk with every employee and staff. And. Me personally, even as a consultant today, when I'm consulting a dealership, I drive through the lot. I look at the inventory display. I look at it. Sometimes I'll get there. I want to be the first, first to arrive. A general manager needs to be there first to arrive. I mean, it's it's not about your golf game. It's, it's about other, other things, right? So I'm going to drive the inventory from both directions and then see how we're displayed. You got to remember, the front of a dealership is a quarter of a mile of billboard, and we've lost the art of display in the dealerships today. That that, that is something that that us old, old schoolers we look at and say, people don't display their inventory. You know, they they, they don't strategically have elevated ramps, and they don't have featured merchandise. You know, so I'm gonna look at how my how my sales department is displaying the merchandise, are they moving it? Are the, are the off brand cars on the front row? I'm, I'm going to be, cause I'm going to hold a daily save a deal meeting. That's an old Van Tyle thing. You know, the, Van Tyle invented the, the save a deal meeting and the save a deal meeting, I believe the general manager should usually run that meeting themselves. Mm-hmm. Now I, I know that the general sales managers run it quite often, but as, as often as not, I want the general manager to run that, to run that meeting. And that meeting is all department heads, and it's going to be the, in the variable department. It's going to be the, the F&I management. It's going to be the BDC management. It's going to be the general sales manager, the desk managers, the, the closers, if we have them in the Internet department, use car department. And the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to allow the, the F&I department to have the floor first. I want to know how many deals we have in transit. I want to know it. How many, how many deals are, are in the box uh, approved, but not delivered? Do you, do you realize that Michael, that a lot of deals die in the box? Yeah, they're, they're approved and uh, we have a condition or, or, or something. And, and the, and the deal dies. It never gets delivered from one of a thousand dollar down payment or something like that. Right, right. So the general manager at the save a deal meeting, that meeting is to make deal to, to recapture lost business. Right as a so, general manager.
0: So, so let me ask you this. I mean in and I mean like full disclosure, anybody that knows me knows I've never been a general manager at a dealership. I can level as a business owner cuz I own and I started I've started companies and I own my companies and those sorts of things. If dealers aren't doing these things, what are they doing?
1: Well, Let's pretend that the that the dealer principal is assuming the role of the, of the general manager. Okay. And being a dealer principal, you've got other duties and other distractions. And unfortunately, there, there's not a lot of good training out there. I mean, the the NADA Academy has its own agenda. You know, it's got some some really good things, but there's also some some self-serving things that the NADA serves up in that academy. Right. Yeah. You know, and we, we're, we're trying to serve an agenda today of new age technology and we're, and we're missing the the blocking and the tackling that that general manager needs to do. You know, when I, when I walk the dealership and I'm looking at inventory, I'm looking at the cleanliness of the store. I'm, I'm stopping and talking to customers in, in the service lounge. You have a good experience. Are people treating you right? Uh, I'm going to call three or four customers a day right? that, that didn't buy. I'm, I'm reviewing, I'm reviewing the CRM. CRM g- gives so much information today to a general manager. Yeah, you know, there, there is so much information on, on business lost, uh, appointments not kept. And these aren't everyday duties. The, the Signing the checks, opening the mail, reviewing the doc, reviewing the, the latest financial statement, picking a line item off the financial statement, and making the controller explain it out to the nth degree. Right, and you know th- those are daily duties, and then there are weekly duties like like walking the inventory and and things that they uh, general manager should do at least on a weekly basis.
0: You know, do you think that there are? Um a lot of GMs who have also assumed a lot of the duties of a DP.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of dealer partners that are GMs, and a dealer is allowing that GM to buy into the ownership, so they are actually uh, fully operating the dealership with an absentee dealer.
0: Mm. You know, and got- so, does that contribute to the challenge of, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I think any dealer, I mean would want to increase sales. They would want to increase customer satisfaction. They would want to um, make sure their employees are happy. But do you think a lot of the reasons and a lot of the challenges we see these days um, stems from Maybe just putting priorities or mi- misaligned priorities or m- maybe not seeing the value in talking to every employee every day or those sorts of things. I mean, what, what's contributing to the state of affairs today? Is it, is it, you, you know, what's that old saying that success is found by doing the small things consistently or something that uh, to that effect? Is it that we just put too much emphasis on, you know, higher level stuff or, in off inter-office drama or whatever it is. And that ties up a lot of time from a GM to be able to do these things. Or like you've said, doing a lot of the blocking and tackling.
1: Well, the distractions, um, I have a saying we don't have in the car business. We don't have a knowing problem. We have a doing problem. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I've said that in almost every seminar I did. It's original Ziegler statement, but still people know what to do. In my seminars, people sitting there say, well, I, I knew that. I said, well, you're not doing it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't have a knowing problem. We have a doing problem. And we don't have a what problem. We have a when problem. Those are the two signalisms when I'm managing uh, people, when I have department heads working under me. And, and you tell me, I am going to do something. We yeah. In the car business, we get all enthusiastic. When we get back from the twenty group, we're going to do this. When we get back from the seminar, we're going to do that. I just right. want the digital dealer. I'm going to do this. Yeah. But you never get around to it because other priorities creep in. When one of my managers tells me, Mr. Ziegler, I'm going to do that. I look and I say, When? I want to calendar that right now. I'm going to put that. I'm going to put that in in my technology, in my CRM, and I am going to check and what date can I expect that project to be done? Cause I'm checking back and it used to scare my managers to death because they knew that I didn't forget. Cause it was in my technology. We're, we're, we're talking the old Blackberry. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Know? It was in my Blackberry. I, I had it. And on, on the day they told me that project was going to be done. I called that manager. Um, Give me the progress report on that. And you know, made sure it was done. Right. And that's that's the one thing, the one thing that a general manager needs to do, and I, I firmly believe is join a twenty group, an uh, NADA twenty group or an NCM twenty group, um, six and one half dozen of the other, um, join a twenty group, and be sure it's not a it's not a, a golfing group, it, it's a working group. Right. You know, I mean, it's okay to, to play around a golf or two on your 20 group meetings, but that's the whole purpose of the 20 group. You you want a competitive group. I don't want to be the biggest dog in the group. I, I, I want people that will stretch me and challenge me. And one thing I, I know as a manager is to cover my weaknesses. Mm. My weakness is fixed operations. So, if today I were promoted to general manager, the first thing I'm going to have to do is get, is get a competent service manager, a competent 20 group, and and even hire a competent consultant to consult me and to measure that effort.
0: And and so I, I, what I'm picking up here is that 20 groups is kind of the differentiator. Because I was, I was going to ask you, or, or a differentiator, because I was going to ask you um, – how do we take all of this and apply it to our unique scenario? Because, I mean, yeah, for the most part, dealerships all function the same. They all have very similar processes. They all have very similar lack of training, like you mentioned, or maybe not good training or self-serving training or whatever it might be. But for for you know our friend listening in or watching this right now and they say, okay, but I've got all of these unique scenarios that I'm dealing with right now. How do I know what should be the most important thing for me?
1: How do I know what's the most important thing? Well, the most important thing, of course, is hold the gross and move the units. (laughs) Nothing happens until a car is sold. Right. But but then we we have to understand that uh, the repair business, the the maintenance business, the the fixed operations is a is a a big uh, steady profit center. Average car out there today is out there for eleven years. People are hanging on to these cars for a long time. So, and honest to goodness, uh, Jiffy Lube is, is beating the hell out of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you Google up repairs, you very seldom find a dealership on the top of the page. Right. <laughs> you know, our, our service department is greatly lacking, which brings us to another uh, weekly duty of, of a general manager is, is first of all, I'm going to review my website. I'm going to review every one of my vendors' ROI. I mean, and I'm, I'm talking about every vendor, not what they say their ROI is. Right. Never trust statistics about a vendor that were given to you by the vendor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, That's a good rule of thumb. Keeps everybody honest.
1: <laughs> I mean, when the vendor comes in and the vendor hired a survey about themselves, <laughs> you know, they're going to give you their, their stats based on a survey they hired about themselves. No, I am going, you know, remember, remember the Jerry Maguire movie, show me the money, show me the money. Show, show me, show me where you delivered a car and earned your money, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm even going to review, I want to re. I'm going to fire almost every vendor periodically and renegotiate them. Right. One thing I know as a consultant to dealerships, people will pay a lead provider and, or they don't call those lead providers anymore cause they can't justify their money. So now they're advertising sources, but still in all, these lead providers or advertising sources or whatever they want to call themselves, you know, they, they, they can't justify the the ROI. They can't, they can't show you where they're, they're selling cars for us. And I'm going to, I'm going to review the ROI on every one of them. And I know from traveling around the country, I've dealt with thousands. We estimate I've dealt with 15,000 dealerships in the last 25, 25, years or so. I know for a fact that these lead providers have a three and $4,000 a month differentiation for the same services from dealer to dealer. Wow. So in other words, one dealer's paying 4000 dollars a month more than the other one. And if you fire them and you and you're steadfast, here they come back with it with a deal one third of what they had before or, or a fraction. Right. There's every one every one of you dealers needs to get with your 20 group, find out if you're you know, I own I own, an, I own a, a website right now, a domain. I haven't built a site. Maybe you can help me with this. I have a domain called findoutwhatotherdealerspaid.com. <laughs> i got I bought that on GoDaddy. I, I own that find out what if, if dealers knew what other dealers paid these vendors for the same services and some of these some of these dealers are being overcharged four thousand dollars a month more than the guy a woman across town so
0: well, i mean why where did this start why did that happen i mean yeah, going along with this I, I think you know to your point it's so crucial that as a business owner or as a general manager, you're looking at this stuff to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of. I mean, you and I have a close friend right now who's been taken advantage of um, financially, and it's completely ridiculous. Um, granted, there were some mistakes made, uh, you know, from maybe a novice perspective. But, you know, to that point, I think a lot of people are being taken advantage of. But, you know... Where did this all start? Why are why is one company charging dealers such vastly different prices in different areas, different neighborhoods, different whatever? Is it just a straight up greed play in your opinion or
1: It's an absolute straight up greed play if that's what you want to call it because these same these same sources that are overcharging the dealers are so pious about us overcharging our customers and we're going to help the customers get a better price and and, and, they're, and they're laying the dealers away. Yeah. So as a general manager, I am not only going to hold the vendors accountable for ROI and I'm not just talking about the variable vendors. I'm talking about the, the uniform rental companies. I'm talking about any vendor that does business with a dealership. I'm going to, I'm going to do what we call Trump them. I'm going yeah. to renegotiate every deal. <laughs> 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 You're fired. <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to renegotiate all, all, all my vendor contracts. And I'm going to review my vendors on a regular basis. And that's something that very rarely happens. You know, vendor g- gets in, entrenched and I'm talking about service contract companies. I'm talking about, you know, an, any vendor, nothing is automatic. Right, and one thing a, a general manager needs to do is to purge the data suckers out of your, um, your uh, DMS and your CRM.
0: What, what do you I, mean I by was, that? What do you mean well, by a data sucker?
1: Okay, well, right now, I was in Chicago recently, and, and I, m- one of my Chrysler dealers in the Chicago land market, we audited his DMS, you know, as his, his operating system. And we found seventy-nine vendors taking data out of his DMS, Whoa. customer data, customer data.
0: Whoa!
1: Yeah, and guess what? Some of these were mail sale, event sale companies that were supposed to have one-time access four years ago.
0: Oh dear! And they were
1: still extracting data out of the, out of the DMS. Whoa! Every dealer, every general manager out there regularly needs to run an audit. And, and find out who's taking data and what pur- purpose they take the data. Yeah, you you need to examine the EULA, E U L A, the EULA End user agreement in every document you sign, because there are vendors right now that when you sign an agreement with a lead provider, yeah, that lead provider has something in their in their in their agreement their EULA, E U L A, and user. Licensing agreement that says they have they own your data, they own your customer base. You actually gave it to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, but even, and a bigger challenge though is even after they you've perhaps canceled or fired that vendor, they still have their hooks in your meat. Basically,
1: you didn't you didn't get with the the, D, the DMS provider and have it canceled. Hmm. So you need to basically having a regular audit on who's extracting data and what fields of data they're taking. Wow. Because I had a lead provider here five years ago that I've made friends with since. You know, I, I won't name them, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a true company, but still enough. Um, one of the grievances I had with that company is they were taking and I've I've made friends with them since, but they were taking 32 fields of data out of the DMS and had no logical reason that they needed that data. And then when that same company went public in in their um, initial uh, IPO, it it said that they were selling that data to other companies. It became revealed in the IPO that they were selling that data. You know, so as a general manager, I'm going to cut off the data suckers. Now there's a company I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's uh, dealer. I think it's Dealer Vault, V A U L T, if something Vault that actually puts a lock on your data. And if I were the owner of a dealership, or if I were the general manager today, I would hire Dealer Vault and. And let them manage who's taking the information out of my computer. Yeah. I've heard some good things about them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it, it makes sense, right? Because there's all these other softwares and things of that nature out there that we use. I I mean, I use a software called blast pass and it keeps all of my passwords secure and it keeps all of, you know, my sensitive information secure on my computer and it's encrypted and all these sorts of things. And so we always think about it from that perspective, but you know, what What scares me, and, and I mean, like, I've been in this industry for a while now, Cl- you know, closing in on 20 years. Um, I was still a kid in high school when when we started working in the car business. But so you've been in
1: the business, what, 20 years?
0: Going on, yeah. Well, what? actually, yeah, I mean, 1996 is when we— I have
1: underwear older than you.
0: <laughs> hopefully it's in the back of the drawer. I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not, not being used anymore. I, if if it is then you need to tell me what brand of underwear you buy because that's I that's a, selling cars
1: in 1976
0: yeah it's just a little bit longer <laughs> yeah <it> was- <laughs> but you know i mean for me i i feel like you know i, I i'm what am i trying to say here you, you know i'm shocked and i don't know if it's just by virtue of who i am in my belief system but i am shocked to think that there are companies out there who are s- siphoning data in an unethical way as what you've just mentioned, and then selling it to other companies um, when they don't have the right to that. Do you think Well,
1: they do have the right to it by contract? You signed it over to them. Sure, and but,
0: and it. so the challenge is that the, the GM or whoever signed the contract didn't look at that end user license agreement the way they should have.
1: Exactly.
0: Or maybe so, they didn't even know what to look for.
1: They didn't know what to look, look for. The, 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 every contract has something called the ULA. The ULA. Right. And if they, if, they, if they read that, and now there's one big company that does a, owns a lot of companies that do business with the car, car dealerships. You know, I don't want to be a trader here, but I, you know, um, they share data with each other, right? So what if, what if well, I, I just said I'm talking about the Cox companies? Well, um, what if Auto Trader shared data with Dealer Track, shared data with V Auto, shared data with um, de- uh, Dealer.com,
0: and HomeNet and Chrome and you name it. Well,
1: think about it. Now, a dealer track has financial data on the customer. Um, They've got transactional data in the CRM within solutions, so they know how much that customer paid. They have all three types of data. There are three types of data. There's uh, personally identifiable. You know the customer's name. Transactional, you know how much they paid. And financial, you know how their credit is, and you know you know what they owe, and know what they're capable of buying. Cox companies basically have all three of those things. Hmm. And the dealer signed an agreement with the customer that they wouldn't share any of that. <laughs> it called called the privacy agreement, the federal document. Right. You 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 agreed under federal law not to be, distribute their information, then you turn right around and let all your vendors have it.
0: A few years ago, our dealership was losing money in used cars and we had to make some sort of change. So we jumped on board with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. So every guest that comes into our dealership, it is part of the process. And since then, it's been such a success. The name Kelly Blue Book is huge in our industry. They've been around a long time. With Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer, that is a guaranteed check writer. In my world of being around for almost 30 years in the car business, that's one of the strongest things we have to offer. Y- yeah, and what's interesting about that is p- – well, and and they should at least. Every dealer uh, website should have a privacy policy which explicitly states that they don't share private information.
1: Well, that, they do. Every dealership in, in the U.S. does have such an agreement because that's a federal law. Right. The, 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 the Privacy Act, you've got to – the customer has to be – they don't just sign a privacy statement. But they have to be given one. Right. Every, every consumer must be given a privacy statement.
0: Sure. So so that's interesting. So the gist of all this is, you know, hey, man, you're the GM. It's your responsibility. It's not anybody else's responsibility. You're saying it is the GM's responsibility to hold vendors accountable.
1: And then I'm going to hold my own people accountable. One thing I do today as a consultant when I, when I get involved with a dealership, you know, one thing I do when I get involved with a dealership is I, I pull a hundred random deal folders. Now I don't say that a general manager would pull a hundred. Right. But you need to start tearing apart the dear deal folders. I want to see the worksheets. I want to see whether it's legally compliant, whether it was ethically compliant. You don't need to lie, cheat, sneak, deceive, misrepresent to sell cars. So I want to be sure that my people are ethically legally compliant, I'm going to take that whole, I want the physical folder, like when I when I go to, say, Tallahassee Dodge, the, the office manager pulls a hundred random folders before I even talk to the sales department. Mm-hmm. And I lock myself in the conference room and start tearing those folders apart. I look at the worksheet. I look at the F&I callbacks. I look at the, the, the dealer tracker um, route one callbacks. You know, I, I look at how they work the deal you know, how is the menu presented in the F&I office? A general manager needs to be sure that you pull those deals apart and you know exactly how your departments are working. Does that make good
0: sense, big guy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So And, and so from your experience, what are you finding? It, 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 I mean, I'm sure there's not an intention to do unethical business, but I, I'm sure it slips through. I mean, where I'm going with this is, you, you know, there's still that black cloud that hangs over, looms over the car industry that, you know, as much oh. as you and I would love to see it go away. I mean, I think we can also identify why it's still there. What are you finding? And I mean, how do you turn that around? So are, are you finding cases where you're, you're saying, whoa, guys, hold on? These- well, not
1: just that, but the dealership has a process. This is the way we want deals worked. And I can look at a worksheet and say, you, you you allowed the salesperson to do this or the salesperson did this and you allowed it to happen. Right. Or you didn't do the process here. You, you, you deviated from the process here. Why did this deal start off uh, first past 84 months? You know, why this is part of our, our meetings we're having here. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I going to do the integrity of the process that we, have put into the culture of the dealership. Whatever the dealership's processes are, I can, it's like a fingerprint, like a blueprint. I can pull that deal folder apart as a general manager and just randomly uh, pull a dozen or so a week and and just look through. Next thing I'm going to do as a general manager is I'm going to look at my online reviews, what a customer, and I'm going to respond to them as the general manager.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a powerful play because it, it's, I mean, it's funny. We have a restaurant in Canada called Boston Pizza. I think it's in the States. I'm not too sure. It's a franchise restaurant. I mean, there's eight zillion locations across the country. Um, but what fascinates me is that when I go there with my family, every single time the owner, the, the franchise owner or the general manager is walking around to every single table. And it's just that simple touch point to see how we are, see how everything's going. Is the food consistent? Does it meet your expectations? How are you? Can we get a balloon for the kids? Can we do all these sorts of things? But, I mean, there there are some instances where we see that that owner or that general manager of that location walking back to the kitchen with full plates of food in his hand. Um, but what strikes me about that, and, and moving this into the context of the car industry, it's such a powerful thing when the authority figure is out there working with people and showing how much that he or she cares about the people that give them their hard-earned dollars.
1: And uh, I'm going to call four or five people a week that did not buy a car from us. Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find out how did we miss your business? Yeah. And you know, same thing with service complaints and that not knowing as much as I could about service. One thing I'm definitely going to look at is open ROs and, and tickets that weren't closed out. Not that anybody's dishonest, but if I got a, a, a tick an open ticket or an RO that hasn't been closed out, I, I want to know why I want to follow that up. You know, stay on top of it.
0: Sure. You know, well, and that you so stuff. you use that information in future training, or how do you position what the intel well, you require?
1: A question, I'm a question of the, the parts manager. The I got a parts ticket, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm looking. I'm look at recon cost. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got an open RO, why? Why is it? You know, not that anybody necessarily is stealing, but if somebody is stealing, that's the way they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and. um, Usually usually an honest mistake, by the way. But like I wrote an article a couple of years ago that got me in a lot of trouble with a lot of a lot of used car managers. The article was called To Catch a Thief. <laughs> if somebody in a dealership is gonna steal from it's gonna steal from the dealership, it's gonna be in the used car department. You know, it's 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 crazy, but that's just the way it is. And um I look. I book cars behind the used car manager. When we're sending cars to auction, especially if it goes to a a wholesaler, you know, when we buy when we buy cars and, and when we we wholesale cars, I might have my title clerk booking those cars behind the used car manager. Not that I distrust the used car manager, but then again, let let's just be. If there's a big discrepancy. Maybe it's honest discrepancy, but then I can look at it, say, say I got the title clerk looking at, at the cars that we're transacting. And she, or he says to me, Hey Jim, there's a $3,000 discrepancy between the book value in this car and and what we sold it for. And I might look at it and say, well, yeah, it had some damage or had this or that, or or it was an age unit. We, there was a reason V V auto said there's 5,000 of them within 10 miles, you know, or something but I'm going to know the discrepancy. I hope hope that makes sense to
0: you. Yeah. Well, and the gist I'm picking up from this conversation is, um, and and to reference your Zieglerism from earlier, um, it is your job as a general manager to be in the know about all the facets of your business, but also then do something about the things you know so if you know that a vendor needs to be held accountable you need to do something about it if an employee needs to be held accountable there needs to be some course of action if if um, you're getting poor reviews and you know about it it's on you to be able to do those things how many do you think it's a, a challenge right now um, where we turn a blind eye maybe to some of these things because we don't think they really matter in the grand scheme of things like Oh yeah, we got one negative review on Google. Who cares? Well, that yeah, customer was yeah. an idiot. They don't know what it takes to put a car dealer to deal together or whatever.
1: Well, I like I like Google. I like Deal Raider. I think that. Uh, personally I believe Yelp is an extortion racket to be real honest with you sure yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: well you're not the first <laughs> to say that yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, I view Yelp sort of like the old mafia protection racket yeah you pay <laughs> us not to
0: hurt you, <laughs> you know? it's for your own protection
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um, reviews are all important you know and and answering reviews even if it's a bad review you answer the bad review you apologize and move on. So the review business, um, I was spending a lot of time in this, in the CRMs watching my, my BDC department. I'm a, B, I'm a BDC sort of guy. There's two schools of thought, you know, do the salespeople handle it? Does the BDC handle it? Well, I give my BDC a lot of authority. If I had a BDC, I would have competent car people with, with, with techie background in the BDC. And they would have the authority to make a deal because w- one of the things we're, we're finding in dealerships today is um, the culture war between the traditional sales department and the technology sales department. Did that make sense?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's this culture war. They're fighting with each other. It's, um, it's not pretty. <laughs> and God bless millennials. Um, <laughs> you know, these you know, people are hard to manage. You know, we need to build little blanket forts and give them a safe space for puppy therapy. <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah. a- a- HR, and and we'll look at who we're hiring too. Um, one, one thing I would do as a general manager is I would give aptitude tests every every new hire. There's three or four companies that that do it. I use Omnia out of of uh, Tampa. But I would look at aptitude. Is this person's, you know, can, is this person can, uh, the kind of person that would be a great salesperson would be a great service writer. You know, the the, the personality differences between a salesperson and a service writer are diametrically opposed. And, you know, when you put the wrong personality type, there's people out there that are professional interviewers yeah they really look good and you, you know, they, they show up well, what happened to the guy interviewed last week Where, where's he at you have a twin brother what you know so I want I want to have vendors that backup services I need and review my website re- review my crM um the crM is the the heartbeat of the deal. Every time I have gotten the numbers up in a dealership as a consultant, and if I did it as a GM, I would be sure that my people were adhering to everything the CRM was capable of doing.
0: Sure. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Well, misusing the CRM is one of the biggest sins in dealerships today, is that the dealers or general managers are not making their people accountable for using the CRM. And I, I coined a phrase a couple of years ago that's sort of gotten around the industry called marry your CRM. <laughs> marry the CRM. The CRM is the culture. And I, I've had, I, I have dealers all the time. Well, Jim, I, that's old Joe. Old Joe can barely get a customer's name in the CRM. Old Joe can't stay here anymore.
0: <laughs> it's a job requirement. Marry your CRM.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I've, I've been in some pretty big dealerships. And they've got such a disparity in people that use the CRM and do not use the CRM. And when I'm looking at appointments set, appointments kept, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at statistically uh, things that happen in real real time. See, so sometimes you get involved with a doc sheet, a financial statement, a CRM printout, and you're looking at numbers. And you forget that these are real actions that people did or did not do. You know, we, well, we, we didn't have 15 appointments show that were set. Okay, well, that's pretty weak appointments. Did, did the sales manager or somebody in authority call that customer and verify the appointment? That's part of the process. Did that happen? And, well, you said, well, Jim, that's the general sales manager's job. Well, it is the general sales manager's job, but who is the supervisor of the general sales manager? You know, it, it's amazing. When I do a sales manager seminar on that level, I, I, I have people say, well, well, Jim, I can't get my people to do this, or I can't get my people to do that, or, or my people won't do this. Or, you know, well, let me ask you a question. Who's their supervisor? Yeah. So, the Whenever, whenever somebody says to me, I can't get my people to do this, I have a question I ask in my seminars. What is that a symptom of? Mm. And the answer is always weak management.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like like, I, like I, I did a sales manager seminar in Chicago here about three months ago. And it, people were laughing their head off because somebody was explaining to me why their salespeople wouldn't do this. And I said, well, you know, what is that a symptom of?
0: Hmm.
1: I know weak management, right? Yeah. Is that you were talking about? Yeah. Let me ask you something. If you, you've only known Jim Ziegler for two hours, <laughs> but if I ran your dealership, would that happen? Well, no. Then why is it happening with you running your dealership?
0: <laughs> yeah. It, well, exactly. And a thought just came to no, my I mind. What, what do you think about? So, so you mentioned an aptitude test for new hires. And I mean, this is not a new concept for me. This is something that we do for every single uh, prospective new hire into my company. Um, you know, we we look at personalities and we look at all those sorts of things. We do a, a very um, uh, intense screening process. But according, you, you know, in line with this concept of weak management, do you think there needs to be some sort of GM Or, or management aptitude test given to potential management candidates. Because I think we're going to see, we're, we're going to keep seeing that these challenges of weak leadership perpetuated, right? It's like, oh, this guy's been a sales guy for 10 years. He kind of learned some of the ins and outs of working a deal and he dipped his hand in F and I and he's dipped his hand in fixed and yada, yada, yada. And so that makes him the best candidate. And we, we revert back to this concept of, you know, a body is better than nobody, but what would happen, do you think, if there was some sort of an aptitude test or a qualifying process?
1: There is. There is. Well, but how you gotta com- remember a lot of uh, GMs are relatives.
0: So that's well, the that's the, the qualifying sp- process. We, we well, share well, blood. That's what I
1: call the, the lucky sperm club. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of GMs out there. The only thing they ever did in their life was win a race with five million other sperm cells. They haven't done a damn thing since. Sure. But not all dealer siblings are incompetent. I right. mean, there are a lot of. I mean, a lot of dealers raise their children to be general managers and started them on the wash rack, brought them up through the sales department. But then there's there's other dealerships where they just got dumped, you know, from this from the entry level, they got out of NAD Academy, now they are the general general manager. Right. And they don't know how to be general managers. So that that's the difference, you know. I, I, I do business with a lot of second and third generation dealers and I did I I did business with their grandparents. Yeah, I've been I've been in it 41 years. I'm I'm, I'm now on the third generation of some of my dealers and And it's amazing how they hire me to train the next generation. Like I said, I personally have never been a general manager. Sure. But with 41 years experience and I was a great general sales manager, my numbers were way up there. But um, knowing that the fixed operation is not my expertise.
0: Right. Wow. I mean, so if I had to recap here, I've got pages of notes. Um, you know, and I love this stuff because it's very operational. Like, Hey, let's, let's dig in. Let's talk about day by day. Let's talk about week by week. What are some of the things that you as a manager should be focusing on? And so to do a quick recap, you know, some of the notes I've taken here, um, they need to come into the store before everyone. They need to be the first one there, right? They need to open their own mail, write their own checks, you know, those sorts of things. So some very logistic logistical things. They need to just make sure they're handling their own business and not having somebody else do it. I like that point because though it seems simple and though it may sound very common sense to a lot of people, I don't think others realize the impact of just being in the know about some simple things can affect a very positive, um, you know, change within the dealership. So I love that. Um, I especially loved what you said after that. Touches every employee. Um, I I don't think we realize the power that a positive culture can have on the bottom line. And I know from my own experience, because I've been there as a novice entrepreneur, as a novice business owner, as a novice employer back in the day, it's very easy to be like, they should just do their job because I pay them, you know, and that's my expectation. I'm the king, I'm the commander, I'm the whatever. But as we shifted our culture and as I've learned and as I've taken a genuine interest in my people and care for them, um, it has such a profound impact. You can't, you can't really explain it. Morale goes up. It's, it is, you know, I, I had a conversation with my, my dad the other day. He's one of my business partners. He's our CFO. And we were just sitting there. It was one of those late night soul to soul conversations. And I said, you know, I feel extremely blessed and fortunate that I've got a group of individuals who are out there fighting for me. It's such a powerful thought. And so for those of you listening or watching, if you're not really understanding or you haven't made that connection yet, and I'm no way suggesting you're a bad person at all. I'm just saying if you haven't made the connection about the importance of. Talking and being in the know and understanding and, and, and being available to your employees. Watch what happens. Commit to that. Commit to taking interest in them. Watch what happens to your business. Um, you know, you had mentioned other things, just paying attention to those small details. I really just love it because, I, you know, it resonates with me, Jim, because I think I, any success I've experienced in my life, not just career, but just life in general has come from paying attention to the small things because I I believe that the small things once combined equal a greater, bigger thing. And I mean, just things like you said, I'm driving the lot. I'm going back and forth. I'm looking from each angle. Um, I had never ever in my entire life considered that I've got a quarter mile of billboard sitting there. Like it's just, it makes total sense. Um, and then we moved on holding people accountable, both vendors and, and, uh, employees. And I love, you know, kind of where this all came to, which is, look, if things aren't going the way you want, or oh, I can't get my team to do that, or I can't get my, you, you know, these are all symptoms of weak management. And, and I think for, for me that I shouldn't feel threatened by that. I should be self aware enough to know that. I'm a human being and I require improvement all the time. And and so if you have enough self-awareness to realize, wait, maybe I am a weak leader, therein lies the biggest opportunity for you to shift and start growing. But it's not until you admit it and, I, and it's not until you're willing to admit it. So I, I want to just ask you one last question and winding down here. I think, you know, the crux of all of this stems from ultimately taking time for yourself to define what success means to you and then define what success is for your business. Come up with that vision, that goal, that plan. So the first part of the question is, do you see indications as you're out there that dealers and managers have taken the time to solidify their vision and their definition of success? The second part of the question is, how did it happen for you? Was it an aha moment that you had? Was it a sequence of aha moments? Did it happen organically? So, because, you know, when, when we think about individuals in the car industry, who's happy, who's lived the best life and all these sorts of things, you know, you're always up there in the conversation. We go, man, Jim's, Jim, so happy. He's, he's, he's created. So, but I mean, that definition of success, how did it happen? Right. So first part of the question, do we see indications that that visions and successes are being thought through? And then the second part is, how did it happen for you?
1: Well, if I died right now and God said, Jim, you can go back and live another lifetime as anybody in the world, (laughs) I'd go back as me again. (laughs) It's a lot of fun being me. Uh, because I chose that. <laughs> Success is a thought process. Success is a decision that you make. And in 1982 when I drove into Atlanta with my mattresses tied to the roof, I was driving a buy here pay here car. I was broke, divorced, depressed, 35 years old, starting over again again right this, my life my life up to that point was start over again success, failure, success, failure, start over again. You know, and, you know, I was starting over again, again, and I made two decisions. I, I will study my profession. This is what I do. I will study my profession as surely as if I were studying for a master's degree. And that's the, the problem in the car business today, Michael, our people don't make a commitment to be in the business. Three quarters of the salesmen out there wait until they get a good job in their
0: mind. Sure. They're not invested they're not, in themselves.
1: They're not. When you, you, you will never be. And I know 40 car salespeople right now, car salespeople on the, on the, the entry level making more than 40,000 a month. Wow. But every one of them, you know, maintains relationships with past customers and prospects for new business themselves. And they brand themselves. And, that's what I want as a general manager. I want to inspire that kind of person at at every level in my organization. I want to be an inspiration. You know, I have no envy. I, I sincerely hope, you know, you know, for years and years, Grant Cardone and I were neck on neck and then he sort of made a little more money than me, (laughs) a lot more money than me, but you know what? I have no envy. I am I applaud his success, you know, I might want something like what he has, but I don't want his, if that makes good sense. And I, I, and I applaud that, you know, we have a bunch of envious people in this world that are too busy dragging each other down to that, that old crab in a bucket story. <laughs> Put a crab in a bucket, a, a crab can get out of a bucket. People that don't live on the coast don't know that, but a crab can jump out of a, bu- a bucket. I grew up in Jacksonville. So only two ways to keep a crab in a bucket. Put a lid on the bucket, or put another crab in the bucket, because they will pull each other down not let each other escape. They'll Ooh. hang on each other. So we got people in dealership I call crabs. They're too busy pulling everybody around them down.
0: You're saying <laughs> the industry has crabs.
1: <laughs> we got we have crabs. Success is a thought process. My 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 measurement of success is is I don't. Yeah, everybody's somewhere on the on the food chain. You know, may, may, maybe I'm here and somebody else is up here and somebody's down. I, I have no envy. I don't care about that. I, I will I will elevate everybody I can elevate. I've helped a lot of people and I'll continue to help a lot of people. I was in Dallas here last month, the, the OR organization. Keith OR hired me to train 80 of his dealer partners and general managers. Uh, one day, just we had 80, he owns 30 something stores he has partners and general managers and all. He hired me for a full day to train his general managers and, and, and dealer partners, and I mean, and we did it on a Sunday too,
0: oh, so we well.
1: didn't. That's work. how you know
0: they were serious.
1: Came, flew me into Dallas and paid my outrageous fee, and yeah. um, that—that's that, what success is. Six, success is. Yeah, I'm in my legacy years now. You know, I'm, I'm slowing the business down a bit and. I look at all the people I've I've helped that have been influential in their careers, that's what success is. Success is making a difference, leaving a legacy.